I'm going to read a little more than the uh, sermon text that's in the bulletin because I want to talk about more of it than I thought when I first put it in there. So I'm going to read uh, from, this is, uh, I'll be reading out of the New International Version. This is from um, Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 14 through 16. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's God's Word. I want to take something from that, that uh, verse 14 and just remind you of who you are. Um, I want you to be able to say, I am the light of the world. Can you do that? I am the light of the world. Okay. Do you feel uncomfortable with that at all? Because when I do it, I, must, I have to confess, I feel uncomfortable with it sometimes. Because I remember the fact that Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. He says that twice in, in John's Gospel, in chapter 8 and in chapter uh, 9. So when I, I then say to myself, I am the light of the world, I, I sometimes feel like I'm stepping on Jesus' toes. Like, no, no, that's Jesus, not me. But Jesus is very clear. I mean, it's not at all unclear in this passage. He says to us that we are the light of the world. And we're meant to understand that that's who we are. That's our identity. We are to be the light of the world. That's Our lives are meant to be that way. That's who we are. And, um, and we need to, to, to really uh, allow that to sink down in us, in our sense of our identity, of, of who we are in Christ and in the world. We are in this, what, uh, the season of Epiphany. Now, we're Presbyterians, and so we only pay attention to those kind of liturgical calendar things when we're in the mood, when it suits us, right? Did, did you, like, do you, are you familiar with Epiphany? That the, the, there's a day of Epiphany. It's, it's January 6th. It's 12 days after Christmas. Um, that's all, that, I think, is where the 12 days of Christmas comes from. And Epiphany is always on the 6th, whether it's a Sunday or not. And then... Um, Various traditions recognize the season of Epiphany to run from Epiphany typically until you get to Ash Wednesday, which we also sometimes pay attention to and sometimes don't. But um, I want to pay attention to the fact that we're in Epiphany season just because it, it will help us understand what Jesus is talking about here when he calls us the light of the world. Um, Epiphany, the word Epiphany, is uh, you can find versions of it in the Bible it, it comes right out of the Greek, and it, it just it means to shine forth, or to show, or to reveal, or to, to bring to light. And so it's a, it's a, a season that focuses on that. And typically, there's there are three passages of scripture that get a lot of attention in this time of the the church calendar. If you want to pay attention to this time of the church calendar, which today I do, so I'm going to make you do it too. And that is. The, the arrival of the, the, the wise men, the Magi, where they come and, mar- and, and he's marked out to the nations as the Messiah. 
There is the baptism of Jesus, which we just read about. And then there's the transfiguration, where Jesus takes three of his disciples on the mountain and, and, is re- and he's revealed to them. I, I want to focus today on the baptism for a couple of reasons, and that's why it's in there. And uh, John was wondering about that. I'm getting my watch out because there's no clock, and I don't want you looking at your watch, so I'm going to promise you I'm going to look at mine. So I'll keep track of the time, and you won't have to worry about it. Well, until it gets really late. Um, so the baptism of Jesus is a place where Jesus, really, his public ministry begins then. And he, he goes to John, we just read about it, he goes to John, who's baptizing in the Jordan, and he goes to be baptized. John doesn't want to do it, and in a sense, John is right, because he sees in Jesus no need for baptism, because this was a baptism for repentance of sin. And, had, and John had before him someone who was unlike anyone else who'd been before him, and this was a man without sin. In some sense, John was aware of that, and Jesus, though, insists that, that he's to be, he wants to be baptized. And he says this is important because it's necessary for us to fulfill all the, the appearance of righteousness. Now, what Jesus is doing here is stepping into our place. He becomes our substitute, our stand-in. That's one of the things Jesus does. Now, we understand that on the cross. We talk about that a lot. But it's important for us to understand that it's all through his life that he is, he is functioning as our substitute. From the start, he stands in for us. And so not only does he go to the cross to take our punishment, but he lives that holy life that we are called to, we are meant for and can't do. And he lives that out for us. So he starts here, standing in for us in this repentance, not for his sins, but really for ours. And he becomes our substitute. He stands in for us. And thereafter, that's what he's doing in his ministry. And everything that happens here in this baptism is happening to him, but in, he is standing in for us, so it's happening to us as, for us as well. And there are three key things that happen. The heavens are open to him. The heavens are open to us now because of Jesus. The Spirit descends upon him. Sorry about that. That needs to stop. I usually mute it, but I, I didn't do that today. Then the, the Spirit descends upon him. Yeah, this is really a problem. Okay, I, I am going to do what I was supposed to do before. So just uh, talk among yourselves for a moment. No, don't do that. I, I won't be that long. I'm pretty fast enough, I think. Okay. So uh, what we were talking about is that... Um, here we go. I had a friend who used to threaten to call me in the middle of my sermon, a church member, just to remind me to mute it, to, to, to do not disturb. All right, so the, the heavens are open. The Spirit descends upon uh, him as the Spirit then will descend upon his followers. And he is declared to be God's beloved child with whom he is well pleased. That also is us. That is also for us. Now, I want to focus on this descent of the Spirit because I don't know about you, but I do not feel uh, capable of being the light of the world. And I hope you don't either because you're not capable of it in yourself. You and I are not capable of being the light of the world. We are not the light of the world. 
It's God in us who is the light of the world. And as the Spirit descends upon us, we are empowered and equipped to be the light of the world. It's only as the Spirit moves within us and through us that we become able to be the light of the world. It's when we become the light of the world as the Spirit of God is in us and upon us. He empowers us to be the light of the world. And so, at that, in that sense, then not only is Jesus a stand-in for us at his baptism and through his life, but now, in, a, in an important way, you and I are stand-ins for Jesus in the world. He's the light of the world, and now in the world where we are, we become the light of the world, and we stand for him in the world. We become the light of the world for him. That's our role. And we're able to do it because God's Spirit is at work in us and through us. Because Jesus was baptized, because the Spirit's descended upon us. That's the promise of the, of the Gospel. We are stand-ins for Him in the world. Now, how do we do it? What does it mean that, that we are lights in the world? How does, how does that work? Well, you already heard it. Thank you. You preached my sermon for me. I don't really need... Did you hear? Did you listen to the kids? You, weren't, you were paying attention because that's the point. We, we are lights of the world, as Jesus says in, in, in Matthew six, uh, 5, 16... In the same way, then, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and praise your Father in heaven. It is in that sense that we live these good works before the, the world, that we let our light shine. Now, we also shine by telling it. We, we, we shine the light. We represent Jesus in the world by telling people about the world. I know in your Sunday school class you're working on that, and that's, and, and that's an important thing. It's part of what we do. We speak the word, we tell the gospel, um, and, and we bring that light into the world. But we also, as he says here, we do it by our good deeds. And I want to talk for a few minutes about that idea of these this good deeds, this good works. Because it's an interesting phrase that Matthew uses here, that he brings this into Greek. We'll do a little Greek. I won't probably impose Greek words on you, but I want you to, I want you to know a little ba- about the background here. This phrase, good works, is put in a... It's, um, G- Matthew puts an, an interesting... He, there are several words in, in Greek, in the New Testament Greek, that can be translated as good in this case. And there are, Matthew had to choose one of them, and he chose one that's worth knowing a little bit about. It, it's, it's the word kalos. Um, it, and it, it means good, but, there, but it has a particular sort of feel about it. it it's good in the sense that it is, it's, often, it's sometimes translated beautiful uh, or attractive or lovely. Uh, it, it, it can, it's good in that sense. And there are a couple of places in, the, in, the, in Ma- Matthew is particularly fond of it, and he uses the word a lot. And I'll just point out a couple of places where he does that. Um, if, we, if you go to Matthew 13, there's a very, uh, maybe a familiar short parable there. Um, 
where Jesus talks about a man who, uh, he says, what is the, this is Matthew 13, 45 and 46. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had and bought it. Now, that word fine pearl, the word that's translated fine there is the same word as good, good works that he used before. It's kalos. What makes it a fine pearl? It's beautiful. It's lovely. It's attractive. It draws this merchant. He wants to, to have it. It draws him to it. It's good in that sense. It, it, it draws him. It's a beautiful, fine thing that draws him to it. Another place, I'm just going to point it to, another place where he uses that word is in Matthew 26, where Jesus is in Bethany. He's going to Jerusalem to be crucified. And he, he he's, is anointed in Bethany, anointed with oil, right? The woman takes this fine oil, this nard, breaks the, the container and anoints Jesus with it. And people there, Judas in particular, objects to that and says, this is a waste. Why are you wasting this fine on doing this? And Jesus says to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. A kalos thing to me. She's done a beautiful, this is that word again, this beautiful thing is the word that's there for good works in Matthew 5. Right, so you get a sense of what Jesus is talking about, what he has in mind here for these good works. I think we can sometimes think of them as, uh, we, we can sometimes read that passage and think he's talking particularly about obedience to the moral law, you know, like obedience to the Ten Commandments. And I'm sure he doesn't exclude that. Certainly that kind of behavior is important, but it's not quite what he's, what he's focusing on here. These good works are some sort of work that will be, in the eyes of those who see it, will somehow, in some sense, be beautiful and attractive and lovely and draw people to it. We're meant to live that kind of lives, that, that we do things, we live our way in a way that, that people see as remarkable and as attractive, that there's something about the way we live our lives among other people that is beautiful that's lovely, that's attractive, that draws them. Because we are going to be the light of the good news, right? We're going to be the light of the gospel in the world. And, and Jesus expects the way we go about living our lives to draw people. And in, a, in, in an important way, I want to suggest that what that means is that we embody the gospel, that we live it, that the way we live our lives is modeled on the gospel. And this is where it becomes challenging and hard for us. And again, the children's message brought it out beautifully. One of the places is in this work of forgiveness, where we do a thing that's hard. But it's important because forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. And if we can't forgive, we can't live the gospel. If we won't forgive... We will not reenact the gospel before people because in the act of forgiving, we are reenacting the gospel. What is the gospel? It's our God's forgiveness of us. If the people are going to see the gospel, they have to see it as we live it out in things like acts of forgiveness. That's one of the ways that we live beautiful works before the world. 
another one that I think is, is one that I come back to a lot in these days is also really hard. And, it, and it's just a little later in, in Matthew 5 where Jesus brings it up. In Matthew 5, verse 43 and following, he says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And this act of loving our enemies, loving those whom we view as being against us, loving those who hurt us, is a way of reenacting the gospel. When we do that, we show the world what the gospel looks like. Because that's what God has done for us, right? Romans 5, 10. You know this verse? Romans 5, 10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through death, the death of his son, how much more than having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? That's the gospel, right? That's the gospel. God's love for his enemies. In other words, his love for you and me. When we were enemies of God, he loved us and went to the cross. This is the good works. This is the beautiful works that we're meant to live out. They're they're precious rare these days. If you want to stand out as as a light in the darkness, you need to do this. If I want to do this, I need to live this way. I need to forgive. I need to love those who are opposed to me. And love them not just in in words, but in reality. It doesn't mean I agree with everybody, but it means I love everybody. It means that that love for everybody is visible. It's not just words. It's not just an idea, but it's a thing that's clear. That I do it in actions, tangibly, visibly. When, when we do that, we really will stand out. Because th- there's really almost no other worldview in our world that calls people to love those who are against them. It's something that makes the gospel of Christ really unique in the world. And, and it's what's supposed to make us unique. It's it's what makes us different. And it's what draws people to God. It it makes the power of the Gospel visible as we live it out. And you're going to have opportunities, maybe before you leave the room, I don't know, to love somebody who hurts you. You're going to have opportunities tomorrow and the next day to do that. And you have, a, you have a choice. You can choose to do it. And know that while it is hard, it is the thing that the Spirit of God wants to be doing through you. And it's what the Spirit of God wants to be empowering you to be able to do. And as you lean into it, as you allow Him to do that, as you move in that power, you become a light in the world. You become the light of the world. And Jesus shines out from you.
So I want to call you to do that. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to do that. Challenge yourself. Pause when you want to strike out. And remember that you're called to live beautiful lives that will draw people to Jesus. And His Spirit will make you able to do it. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank You that You enable us to live beautiful lives before the world. That they might see in us the essence of the Gospel. That as they hear the Gospel from us, they might see it in our lives and they might be drawn to You. Let us be part of that work. We give ourselves to You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen.